I invite you to take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, and we're going to be reading verses 33 to 39. Would you stand now as we prepare to read? Then they said to him, Why did the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees? But yours eat and drink. And he said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. And then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But the new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage of Scripture and what it teaches us from the words of Jesus. Lord, we pray that these words you've given us would sink deeply into our hearts and be stored there and treasured and meditated upon until they become part of us and who we are and what we do. Lord, may your spirit work to bring your word alive to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So it's that time of the year when many of you have recently made a school shopping trip with your uh, kids or grandkids, and part of that had to do with clothes and such, but school supplies. You know, you get this list from the school every year, and you go out and you buy new school supplies, and you know, you would, you would think that school supply shopping would be an easy thing. Well, I'm just going to, you know, run to the store, I'm going to get some paper, I'm going to get some pencils, and it's all going to be okay, right? It, it should be. You would think it'd be that easy. But first of all, the schools make it hard because every teacher or every grade or school, they've got a particular list, and you've got to get all these certain things, and sometimes it's, you even need a certain brand of it, it seems like, but, but you've got to have all these things. But, but then, as a parent or grandparent, whoever's helping shop, it's, it's, it's not just the school that can make it tough. Sometimes it's the kids as well, because once you line up with all the things the school wants, then your kids kind of have these, they think they have the right to have opinions about this stuff. It's kind of funny. And, 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 you know, you're just thinking paper is paper, right? And, and maybe they don't fuss too much about paper or maybe even the pencils, although some of them might say, oh, I want the mechanical pencils. Or, you know, they, they may have some certain brand of pen they've gotten used to. And, and so it gets more difficult. And I found over the years, raising three, three kids, I found there are certain things you just don't buy without them there. Because you get home and they're just not going to, I mean, they're just going to refuse. And what I found is that backpacks are one of these things. Backpacks are a very personal item to kids. Now, now let me say there are some kids on the other spectrum of this thing. And, uh, you know, they've had their backpack for four years. And you're like, it's time for, no, nah, no, nah, this one's good. It's only got four big holes. You know, but I don't let anything fall out. We, we can keep it. Some kids are like that, okay? And you may have one of those. But most kids can't wait for that new backpack. You look at last year's backpack and you're like, 
yeah, looks pretty good to me. I'd like to save that 50 bucks or whatever for this designer, you know, backpack that you want to have. Oh, no, I got, see this tiny little hole? Or mom, dad, those are so out. No, nobody uses those backpacks like that anymore. And so they got to have the new one, the one that's, you know, in now. And, you know, these things change from time to time. I mean, once upon a time, you had to have a Jan Sport. I mean, that was a thing. You got to have one of those. And, you know, at certain ages, you know, it's all about the character. You know, if you're a little girl, you got your Dora. Little boy, you got your Batman. You got to have your favorite character on there. And, and then over time, the, the things change the styles. They go to the one strap going on. And, and lately, they've got all this special stuff. I mean, it's kind of amazing. You know, they got a place for your MP3, your phone or whatever to go in there. A little wire can come out. And they, some of them have a little cool stuff to keep your cool stuff in there getting cold. And, you know, now they're padded for your laptop because you got to have that in there just right. And a place for your key. I mean, they've got all kinds of stuff. And, you know, and, and we might say, well, <laughs> these kids, they got to have it. But, you know, it's, it's personal. We, we understand as adults we like things that are personal to us because your backpack, I don't know, it's just kind of a reflection upon you. You know, it's kind of it's like later on your car or whatever. I mean, I don't remember being that attached to my backpack, but I will say back in the day when we had metal lunchboxes, I had a Man of Steel lunchbox. Don't touch my Man of Steel lunchbox. Like literally, if bullies were getting close, you know, I was using that thing to ward them off. So I kind of understand kids who really like the backpack thing. The backpacks is something that you carry your stuff in, right? Because and we know this is important, all of us who've been parents, because when something doesn't make it home, why didn't that get in your backpack? You know, where did it go? And we start fussing about it. And so we want them to have a good backpack that all the homework assignments, all the notes from the teacher, all the report cards, we all want them to get home and, and so it's important because it carries important stuff, and uh, sometimes too much. Some of you remember those days when your kids get to be about fourth or fifth grade, and their backpack weighs more than they do. I mean, they're walking like this because of all the books their teachers make them take home. It's rough, but that's a whole other subject. But backpacks, uh, they're important because it's what kids carry their stuff in. This message today made me, this passage made me think about backpacks, and here's why. Jesus was at a, a party. He was at a celebration. By the way, you find him at lots of those in Scripture. Jesus is a people person. Jesus loves to eat and to drink and to be around other people and just enjoy life. And so there, Matthew, who he's just called uh, to be an apostle, Matthew is the first thing. Jesus says, follow me. Matthew says, okay, I'm leaving my life as a tax collector where I've been ripping people off, and I'm going to come follow Jesus. And as one of the first parts of him following Jesus, he says, Jesus, I want to throw a great big banquet. I want to throw a great big party just to honor you. You're going to be the guest of honor. And he does this, and they're having a great time, but then there's some party crashers that show up. There are some Pharisees and Sadducees. There are some people who don't like Jesus too much, and they decide to crash the party. I mean, it really was kind of an open invite. They don't want to be around Jesus. They want to mess with Jesus. So they show up, and they start attacking him by asking questions. You know, they don't want to come right out and say, Jesus, you're a bad guy. They want him to, to ask him tricky questions and to make people think he's a bad guy when he responds in a way that doesn't line up with what they want. 
So the first thing they say is, hey, Jesus, man, you're eating with sinners and tax collectors. What's wrong with you? Don't you know what kind of people these people are that you're hanging around with? You know, like they're almost afraid they're going to get a disease by being by these people because their version of good religion was stay far, far away from those dirty, sinful, nasty people, and then you'll be a good, God-loving, religious person. That was their whole idea. And, of course, Jesus said, you know what? I didn't come uh, to the, for the healthy. I came to heal the sick. I came for those who, who need something. And, and then they flip-flop to the whole and complete other side. And by the way, this is interesting. You know it's always easier to be an extremist? Did you know that? It's always easier to be an extremist because when you stand on a truth that's not far right or far left, you can get attacked from both sides. And that's what happened to Jesus here. So that's what happens in our, in our current society, right? Why do our, our politics seem to be more far right and more far left and all we do is shout at each other? Because nobody wants to appear too liberal or too conservative. So they switch from basically saying, Jesus, you're this liberal who eats and drinks and parties with all these bad people. Then to almost saying, oh, you're Jesus. You know, you don't, you don't do this stuff the way you should. They said, what about the fasting? You don't fast like John's disciples do. And Jesus says, you know what? He tells a little story about, guess what? There'll be plenty of time for fasting later, so he's not putting down fasting. But this isn't the time or place to be fasting. Okay, so they ask him these questions. They try to attack him, and then he comes up with this parable. He says, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. Translation. If you get a hole in your britches, you don't look over at that other pair of dockers in your closet. Oh, let me cut a little piece out of these right here and take this. I'm going to slap it onto this new piece. And these, these dockers now, these slacks, they're going to be all good because I've fixed them right up. Uh-uh. It doesn't work that way. Now, I know the idea of patching. That's kind of out for us. I mean, we, we don't patch anything. I remember when I was little, real little, uh, we actually did pat, you know, did you know that jeans with holes in the knees, that was bad once? I mean, it's crazy, but people actually didn't want skin to show through their jeans. And, and, and mom would actually put patches on the jeans and try to make them better. But Jesus is saying, look, this stuff, you don't take an old ratty pair of jeans or clothes and then cut up a new pair to fix the old pair. Because that pair, that new cloth that hadn't been through the wash a bunch of times, it hadn't shrunk yet. It's going to shrink and it's going to tear away. And this, this is going to look worse than it ever did before. And you've ruined the new garment also. And then it said this other thing. He said, he said you don't put new wine into old wineskins. Now, here's the deal. They didn't have, you know, use the bottles like we do now with the cork. They had wineskins. And the thing about a wineskin is it's new and had never been used before. When that wine would be put in it, it was flexible enough that as the fermentation process started and the gases were released, it could change shape, it could grow, and it could accommodate that wine. 
But if you took an old wineskin, and it had been used a long time, and it had already been stretched out and, and grown to its limits, and you put brand new wine in there, and it starts to ferment, and it starts to change shape, the old wineskin cannot handle the new wine. All the flexibility is gone. And so Jesus said the wineskin burst, and you not only lose your old wineskin, but you've lost the wine. All of that wine that you were saving up, it's on the floor now. Jesus said, hey, when you get new wine, you got to have new wine skins. All right, interesting little analogies about clothing and about wine skins. But what does that mean for us spiritually? Jesus said, hey, you're attacking me. You're fussing at me. You're saying I'm not spiritual enough. I'm either too friendly or not friendly enough. You're, you're attacking me all these ways because I don't conform to your expectation of the way that God works. But, Jesus said, you need to understand that although God never changes, although the Bible tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we have an unchanging God, and yet that unchanging God is the God of all things new. He's a God who reveals himself, who works in our life in increasingly new ways. Think about it like this. Moses one day had that experience of the burning bush, and we can all relate. Oh, yes, we've, we've seen that picture from when we were kids. We can imagine that burning bush. You know, the Bible never tells us that Moses saw a burning bush again. What if Moses said, you know, 10 years down the road, God said, hey, Moses, I want to do something new in your life. And Moses said, okay, light up another bush, God. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'll be ready. Just, just you light up one more bush, and I'll be ready to do it. No, that's not the way God was going to do it. He'd done it that way once, and he decided he was going to do it a different way. And he did all kinds of miracles. Remember the things about, about Pharaoh and, and all the things as he led the people out and the, the, the fire and the cloud and the parting of the Red Sea. But, you know, God changed and did things differently. In new ways, he showed he was the same God that could be relied upon. Same thing with Paul. We think about the Apostle Paul, Saul who became Paul, and we talk about that Damascus Road experience. And, and it's really funny that that's actually become a generic phrase almost among Christians to describe a conversion that was especially dramatic. What was your Damascus Road experience? In other words, what were the big circumstances that came into your life and, and they just you know, made you stop and running away from God and run to him? It's funny, though, that we've made it a generic expression when it was a very specific circumstance that, as far as we know, never, not only never happened again to the Apostle Paul, but never happened again to any other Christian. Have you ever heard of anybody say, well, how'd you come to meet Jesus? Oh, I was on my way to arrest a bunch of Christians, to persecute them. I was walking on this road up to Damascus, and boom, there was this bright light. It was crazy, man. I, it was almost kind of familiar, like I'd heard something like that before. And, and then I went blind, and then, no. 
nobody else, as far as we know, has ever had a Damascus Road experience. We tend to latch on to things either that we've heard about or that we've experienced. And we tend to normalize them. And we tend to say, this is the way that God should work. And he should fit fit neatly and tidy into this little box that I put him in. You see... I've, you've probably heard the phrase, putting God in a box. I heard that years and years ago. But when I heard that phrase, and for a long time, I thought that was a conscious thing. I thought that was a thing that certain people said, I want to control God. I want to make God do just what I want him to do and meet up to my expectations. And so I'm going to say, God, you have this much of my life right here, and that's where you can function. That's where you can work in my life. But what I've realized over time is most people don't do that. Most people don't set out to shake their fist at God and say, you're going to do what I want you to do. It's just that from what they've heard and what they've seen, God has worked in this certain way that fits just like this. And they get comfortable with him working just like that. And they end up kind of building a box around him and, you know, making it all decorative. And this is nice. This is, this is my God experience. This is my Jesus. This is my Christianity. This is the way he has worked, and this is what he's done in my life. And I can tote it, and I can carry it, and I can wear it, and it's comfortable, and everything is good. Until God does a new thing. And God does a new thing And it's shaped differently, deeper maybe, wider maybe, maybe thicker maybe. But somehow it doesn't fit into that comfortable little box that we have all put together. In other words, we got a new new binder and it doesn't fit into the backpack. We got some new books and they don't fit into the kitty backpack anymore. What are we going to do? Well, the obvious smart thing that we should do is we need to expand our box. We need to expand our backpack. We need to say, wow, God is doing something new, and I need to adjust my expectations for the way that God is going to work. I need to be open to him doing something new and different in my life, and I may not be comfortable with it. I may not be used to it, but he's God, and he can do whatever he wants. So I'm going to get a new backpack, a bigger one, a wider one, a taller one, a thicker one, whatever it takes. That is, I'm going to get used to God doing something different in my life. I'm not going to try to constrain him by my old expectations. That's what we should do, right? But Jesus understands human nature. I love the last verse. Verse 39 of Luke 5 says, And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. Man, don't you love an old, comfortable pair of tennis shoes? I mean, they're, they, they fit your feet perfectly. You've gotten used to them. You can slip them right on. We like old, comfortable stuff. Even though it's worn out sometimes, we just, we're used to it. And Jesus is saying, just like people always say, Oh, the wine gets finer with age. And and what do we do? We value there's higher prices 
on older, more vintage bottles of wine. Jesus said, guess what? The wine of my work, when I do new things, it's not appreciated. Because people are comfortable with the old wine. They've gotten used to their old ways of thinking, their old expectations, the old box that they put God in. And this is uncomfortable. And we have to learn that even though we're comfortable with the old and we're good with the old, God can do something even better in the new. And you say, well, wait a minute. Brother Tim, how can we expect him to do something good? Everybody knows that that old wine's better than good. Well, the people who were at that wedding at Cana, they disagree with you. Because Jesus, when, you know, the whole wine ran out and the, the host was embarrassed, and Mary said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, do something. This, these are our friends. They're going to be embarrassed if the wine is run out. And after a little back and forth going on, Jesus ends up saying, hey, take those, fill those things up with water. And he does this miracle, and he creates new wine. And it's not that later on people say, oh, well, this isn't as good as the old because, but you know, hey, everybody's drunk a lot now. It doesn't matter. No, they said, wow, man, why'd you you save this stuff till till, till the end? You should have, I mean, I thought that first wine was okay, but now this is nothing compared to this new wine. This is amazing. And see, that's how God is. We get real comfortable and we love what God does. And we sometimes, we love what God does and how he does it in such a way that we begin to love God's work and the way he's doing it more than we actually love God. And so when God actually starts doing a new thing and working in a new way, we hold on because we're so attached to the old. How does this this work out in, well, let's talk about church life. How does it work out in church life? Uh, it, It means that, you know, you can preach or teach a lot of things, but you better be careful about that old furniture. If you want to change it, somebody just loves to see that old furniture or that, that old thing or, you know, um, we, we get tied to a certain building or a place. People say, oh, there's, a, there's an old saying, I think it was Winston Churchill said, we shape our buildings and then our buildings shape us. In other words, we may draw our buildings to a plan, but then once we've got that new building, the way we work, the way we do things is affected by it. It's, everybody has a favorite preacher or teacher or whatever that they've ever had, and that's okay. But sometimes I've seen people who cannot get past a certain person that, oh, that's what a real preacher or teacher was like. And then everyone that comes after them, oh, they're okay, but they're not as good as so-and-so. You know, and, and, and it's like, Really, do you think God quit working when that person went off the scene? I'll never forget, years ago, I was going to a, a preaching conference in Memphis. And Adrian Rogers, who was pastor of the huge 30,000-member Bellevue Church, he was still there. He was still alive. He was still preaching at that time. And, and 
we got to meet him. We got to sit under his teaching. It was really cool. And then there was this guy, one of the, one of the older deacons in the church, and he took us on a tour around the church. And I started asking him about Adrian Rogers, because here I am, this young minister, and, you know, he's kind of like a rock star among ministers. I'm like, whoa, Adrian Rogers, you know, and, and so here I am kind of babbling along about Adrian Rogers, and he's so great, and blah, blah, you know, asking all these questions. And this guy talks about the pastor, not the one before Adrian Rogers, but two pastors before. His name was uh, R.G. Lee, and he was a very famous evangelist at the time, and this guy goes, ugh. I, I, and, and I said, I, he came right after R.G. Lee, right? And he, he said, oh, no, this other guy, so-and-so. Yeah, he came after R.G. Lee. He said, Adrian Rogers, he couldn't have ever followed R.G. Lee. You know what I mean? He was just like, I'm sitting here, wow, you've got one of the most amazing preachers in the whole country, nationally known. Everybody loves him and thinks him he's amazing. But this old deacon who's been there forever, like, eh. He's all right. He's no R.G. Lee, you know? And I'm like, wow. Because in his mind, the way God really worked, the way a preacher should really preach, was the way that R.G. Lee did it. And so all those years, yes, I'm faithful to this church. Well, he was there. He was still working and serving. But in his mind, yeah, this Adrian Rogers, he's not enough. You know, I don't want to say that, though, at all. This might have been an old deacon, but this isn't an old person's problem. I know when I was a teenager, I went through five different youth ministers. And uh, that was not very fortunate. <laughs> that was very interesting. But every time, one youth minister would leave, and another one would come in, and he might be cool, nice, great, whatever. But there was always going to be a few kids like, oh, things just aren't the same. You know, they're 13 years old and they are set that they know the way that God works is the way that that old youth minister used to do it. And they can't attach, uh, make their mind expand and say, you know what, God may do something cool to this new youth minister. It's not just about ministers. Sometimes it's about a particular Bible. I know people who are like, oh. I don't think I can get anything out of blah, blah, blah version of the Bible. I mean, I just, it just doesn't speak to me. You know, I, I can't worry. But, oh, this version it is the best. It's the really spiritual one. And it can be style of music. It can be a particular spiritual habit that you do or don't do. It can be all sorts of things in your relationship to God. And you, instead of being locked into God are locked into a particular way that God worked. And God has moved on, and God is doing something new, and you're missing out because you're so comfortable that the way God used to work. And he's not doing anymore, but you say, oh, this is the way, because this is what happened at that revival. This is what happened at that old church. This is what happened at that youth camp. And you think, Everything that's good, if it would just go back to being this way, then God would really move. And you miss the fact that God is still moving. You just have jumped off the train. You've just stayed behind because you're not comfortable with his new work. None of us like new things. It's been said the only ones that like change are babies, right? Nobody else likes change. We all get comfortable. 
But we serve a God who's doing new things every day. And rather than focusing so much on the way God used to work, our eyes need to be on him and what he's doing right now. That means we all got to get ready to get a new backpack that carries the way that God's working right now. We all got to be ready to say, okay, God, you're doing something new. The shape and the way you're working in my life, it's something I didn't see coming. But God, I'm ready because I want to stay with you. Being with you is more important than being stuck with that old way that you used to work. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you today, and Lord, we're, we're all, we're, we're a people who we all get stubborn. Some of us show it a lot on the outside. Some of us hide it and pretend like we're so flexible and we go along with everything. But on the inside, we all, God, we all get stubborn. We all get calcified. We, we all get entrenched in certain ways of doing things. And God, you're calling us to new things, to new life. You tell us constantly in your words, sing a new song. God you, God, you are the God of all things new. Lord, so help us as much as we appreciate, as much as we're thankful for what you've done in the past. God, help us to always be ready for the new work of your Spirit. As you desire to make us more like Jesus, to change us, to draw us to you. God, help us to always be ready for the new things that you have ready for us. God, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.